permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our RPG experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. And welcome to our The Kid Who Would Be King intermission episode. So we've had roughly two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever, to think about anything we've missed, uh, including comments from listeners. So we will be getting into that in this intermission, as well as talking about things that have caught our interest on Kickstarter and other areas. Uh, and then eventually revealing our next movie. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, so I like that you're saying it's been roughly two weeks. I'd like to think that it was just been a rough two weeks yeah Um, boy that's an understatement (laughs) (laughs) so drew i actually i've been thinking about this and looking back over my notes and and listening to the episode that we recorded unfortunately i didn't get to revisit the movie i actually think we did a pretty thorough job in talking about the kid who would be king in our main episode so i don't really have much more to bring to this what do you have Nothing. I got nothing, man. Uh, I mean, essentially, we once again did the thing that we have done on quite a few of these episodes where we haven't discussed the score. But frankly, this movie's score is not as iconic as a lot of the other ones that we've discussed. Agreed. Um, the score is done by Electric Wave Bureau. And as soon as I realized that we hadn't paid any attention to it, and, and sometimes that's good for a score, right? Yes. Sometimes movies are made by the score. Like, it, it can be argued that Jaws would be a much different film without its iconic score. But, you know, some of these other films, give or take, I think the score works so well that I kind of didn't even pay attention to it. So Which I have is a been good listening thing because I've had movies that I've reviewed uh, and talked about on my other podcast where the score broke the movie for me, where like the, the yes. presence of the score was obtrusive to enjoying the film. So the idea that the score is such a piece of the movie that we don't pay specific attention to it is not a bad thing. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of folks will, will definitely draw attention to films where the score is telling you what to feel. And this is not just for movies too it happens in television as doctor who fans you know you can definitely say that oh i have to be sad now because the score tells me to um electric wave bureau has a really good score and one that i think would be quite excellent for gamers to play around the table so if you're thinking about playing a game inspired by this film you could do worse than actually playing the theme um i wanted to draw just attention to three tracks that i thought were really good failure there's a fairly good emotional scene uh with that one morgana and Take Me East at Once. So basically, it's the Morgana themes have a really dark overtone, and all the Merlin slash Mertens have a really kind of very quirky, twisted pep to them that I really quite enjoyed. So those three tracks in particular, but yeah, good score. Um, yeah. it, it's it's going to my collection of scores that I just put in the background when I'm on long road trips and I don't really feel like thinking about anything or listening to p- other people's voices in my head and just want to listen to music. It's a, it's a good one for it. Great? No. Immortal? Never. But, uh, good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, and that's, again, it's not a bad thing. It's just not as iconic. But this is, again, a more recent film, so I almost would say it's going to be hard to say with, there's not been enough time for perspective to say that this is an iconic score either. Because who knows, uh, you know, again, going back to something we mentioned in the episode, you know, we aren't the target audience for this. True. You know, growing up, I had uh, vinyl. No, vinyl's cool again. I don't have to be embarrassed of having vinyl. I had vinyl of um, Star Wars and Mm -hmm. uh, Superman. Uh, The things that our generation look at as iconic scores, I I had those growing up, but we're not the target audience for this. Who's to say that the kids who watched this movie and fell in love with it aren't listening to the soundtrack? We don't know. Perfectly fair. Perfectly, perfectly cogent point, my good sir. Yeah, I had a couple of friends who, based on our recommendations, have gone and watched the film um, with mixed results. Some of them really, really liked it, and some of them didn't like it as much, and I've had some good conversations with folks on both ends. So that's the the, the important thing, too, whether you like it or dislike it, having the conversation about films and right. a, a, a good, intelligent conversation about how a film is made, in particular how the story is made. And I will say this, both people who both enjoyed it and disliked it both agreed from their perspective and from their children's perspective who watched it about 30 minutes too long uh and they and and everyone was a sort essentially in agreement that the middle section could have been tightened and made local rather than national and uh you know but again 
I didn't talk with the kids. I talked with the adults. That's a big point. It's always going to come back to, this is a kid's movie. One day I'll have a conversation with a kid who who can put it into terms that they, they feel comfortable with explaining why they liked or disliked it. I think, and I thought about this when I was editing that episode, your comment about Alex's search for his father really doesn't contribute anything to the story overall and is the element that could have been removed without you know and and cut down that runtime a little bit without really impacting things at all like the point of that ends up being to get Alex to appreciate his mother a little bit more but I think they could have pulled that off with less time taken up uh, just as effectively so I think I think that's your your extra time I think you you hit the nail on the head when we talked about it last time one of the conversations i did and and we're going to turn away from this quick but like one of the conversations i did have is what would have happened to the story had alex knighted his mother how is, does that change the story to have an adult have some agency and be able to be a part of that world prior to the appearance of the lady in the lake in their bathtub and i think it would have actually diminished the fact that the lady of the lake shows up in the bathtub which is a wonderful scene yeah i do love that i i don't like the idea of knighting an adult i don't i no, don't agreed. think that can be done 100 percent agreement yeah, yeah. absolutely but it's still one of those things where if you are working in this game that is a scenario in which you absolutely could play around with that's true as a game master and a and as players, you know, especially because we're talking about, you know, using kids on bikes to it. You can play adults in kids on bikes. Why not? It's it's certainly like I wouldn't stop a gaming group from going there if that's what the group wanted to do. So, yeah. right. All right. Well, we did. Uh, the, the, we don't have anything much to add from our movie discussion, but part of our movie discussion is picking our draft picks. Uh, we picked, um, I added betters to my lineup. You added K to your lineup, which I still think was an awesome pick. And, uh, it's, we need to trope them. We need to add them mm-hmm. to officially add them to our lineup by troping them. So, uh, Drew, h- how do you feel like K tropes out? I mean, this should come as a surprise to nobody that, uh, K is a bully. Um, and <laughs> so is uh, half your team. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have two bullies on my team. You have an ex, a possible bully, right? You know, like, but, right. but no, you're you're absolutely right. But I also feel like that sort of character, that redemption arc is such a great story ability and it creates really cool uh, interactions between my characters, especially with sure. the other characters I've got. Um, so Kay's strength, I think she's just generally pretty cool. You know, I, I allude to the uh, Mario Kart car chase being chased by um, <laughs> flaming knights on undead horses, you know, and she's pretty tough. So I think both of those, even though they don't really demonstrate that, I think both of those kind of go go hand in hand. I think they work really well. I don't feel like that is strengths that I have a lot of in, on the team. Like cool under pressure is actually a really interesting thing because I think a lot of my characters were might panic a bit <laughs> under, right. under certain situations. Um, and again, I chose K specifically to pair with Moses. And I think those two complement each other. For a flaw, I think she's a follower. Again, we don't know the characters very well. So follower really works out and then one of the things that you and I haven't discussed and this is maybe not the best time to do so is that one of the things I really like about the kids on bikes game is the backpack idea and the backpack is like what your character always has with them and it is both physical items but it's also abstract ideas as well so it might be like oh you know the the ladies of the library absolutely love my character and they'll always do something nice for them so if I find myself in the vicinity of the library I know I have allies that's something you can put in your quote-unquote backpack but also my character might carry around a flashlight at all times or a, a you know a walkie-talkie at all times but I thought it might be something interesting if a character in the film has something that they might carry with them it would be this would be the time to, to mention it k does not have anything nope <laughs> um but i thought you know uh your care your choice does so yes. I, I thought that was one of the things that would be kind of interesting i mean k's always going to have spare change that she got from a kid that she beat up right um, so maybe that's a thing that she <laughs> or would push have in her down as we as we att- uh, talked about <laughs> yes uh well betters uh is a funny sidekick i mean there, there's the, i i almost went with brilliant mathlete and then i thought about it and went no he's a funny sidekick that's kind of his purpose in in that story for strengths i put that he's heroic because when he is called to action he steps up to it he he has that heroic moment and and I, which makes for a nice character moment for him especially when he's leading the other kids in the third act of the film but his flaw is that he's neurotic which kind of counters that heroic until that moment where he has to step up uh, mm-hmm. which i think is it makes an interesting contrast in his character that his his strength and his flaw kind of contradict each other but at the same time in the right moment he's able to transcend 
that weakness to to have that heroic moment. Right, and you always love that where your flaw becomes that thing you have to o- overcome, and that's sort of what the story is, right? right. Like the, you know, the, the Chivalric Code they specifically mention the things, like the things you have to overcome or to be a knight are the things that they exemplify themselves, which right. is yeah, which is cool. So what what does Betters carry in their backpack? Uh, a man at work sign. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little big for inside the backpack, but uh, <laughs> that 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 seems. I feel like that's his go-to item. <laughs> I think the Betters is going to carry magic tricks as well. Yes, I, I know that there's point where like Betters learns actual magic, um, and of course, you know the whole point for us is it has to be mundane characters. Right. But I I, I also feel like you could like like in D anD D playing a sleight of hand role, Betters could potentially make other characters, NPCs, believe that he had some kind of magical ability. And I think that's a really cool and really fun character trait to play with, where it's like maybe making, like, oh, no, maybe we we, we have some neutral magical parties that could be allies or, or enemies, depending. You know, you could expand the, the mythology of this film, but maybe he needs to convince them that he has magic by, you know, like pulling out a magic card or, or making a coin disappear or something like that. Well, and that actually came up in the Facebook group when we posted or we updated our rosters. Uh, Graham commented on there asking, does betters get magic? Seems fair. Uh, and I didn't even think about that when we were drafting these, that betters does in the movie learn how to use real magic. Now, one of my complaints about the film is in the, the finale where it's revealed that Merlin basically gifted him that magic, because that means Betters didn't achieve that on his own, and I kind of feel like that diminishes the character just a little bit. But for the purposes of our rosters, no, Betters does not get his magic, because as you pointed out just a minute ago, they, they have to be mundane characters. It's the reason we didn't put Merton up as a potential pick, because he's too powerful. Right. You know, I could have made the argument for Merton as a character without powers, like he's a kid who thinks he has um, magic and is just a, a, a weird form of paranoia and hyperactivity. But like you know, that's that's not who he is, right? Yeah. Like that's that's not who he is. It's who I was, but it's not who Merton is. Uh, well, you know, uh, speaking of comments on the Facebook page too, there's a couple more. We got some really good ones. We uh, did. I guess we're kind of done. Are we done troop- troping our characters? Or do I want to make I'm, sure we're done? Uh, yes, I'm done. We'll move into our comments because you know, not only did we get a couple of emails, we got a lot of good back and forth with, with folks. Speaking of your choices, uh, Cord comments, I'm glad that you now have two Samwise on your team. Which I didn't even think about the fact that Sean Astin is Mikey in The Goonies mm-hmm. and is, of course, Samwise in The Lord of the Rings movies, so I have I have Samwise Prime leading my team. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's I I love that idea, and there's there's something to be said about quite a few of your your picks in that they are they're lieutenants. A lot of them are lieutenants who step up um, and have really good moments. Um, yeah. versus a lot of mine who are quite a few of them who are leaders but are doubtful leaders, um, which right. is I think both are really fantastic ways to to look at them. I was thinking too, and, and I, I made this comment on the Facebook group, it, it's a shame you didn't choose Sam from now and then as well. Uh, then you could have had three <laughs> Sams on your team. But I have her, and I, I probably will keep her into the final countdown because I really quite like that character. Yeah. And speaking of choices that we've made, uh, Graham also commented on my choice of Kay and says, after having listened to the most recent episode, Kay makes sense. But Lance would have been a real problem for your team, specifically Moses. Moses is his squad sergeant, which means when Lance tries to make a move, Moses has to stomp him. No question, no warning, just put him on his back, make him reconsider his life choices. Uh, especially true if Moses is deferring to a lieutenant at the time, unless that lieutenant is corrupt, of course. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and and honestly, uh, Graham, I thought about the relationship between Lance and Moses, and I considered it for almost up until the point where I, I decided on Kay. And it was about the relationship with Moses that really made me choose Kay over over Lance. It's because both of them have would have excellent interactions with Moses, but I don't like the character that splits the party negatively. Um, right. And I and I know that becomes a problem for gamers because it is a, a temptation as a player to play up the the character that rubs the rest of the group the wrong way. Uh, oh, and that I is one of, one of the things. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why I like zero sessions where we discuss 
what a character is going to be and, and what they can get away with. You know, like, I will never allow a rogue character to steal from the party ever again. I had 30 years of D&D where that was just happened every single time, and I've lost so many parties that way. Right. Right. Uh, I, I do want to return. I gave the truncated version of Graham's comment. You know, he asked, does betters get magic? But then he added on top of that. And how long before there's a hilarious back and forth with Pest demanding to learn magic? Betters having <laughs> the patience of Job and Pest failing spectacularly over and over again. What? It's like Dutton, isn't it? I can do that. Check it, bruv. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things you just said I find fascinating, because when you pitched this idea of the draft, mm-hmm. uh, to me, it was just like, oh, picking the characters that we like, you know, and we'll add this character to the team. But I, I'm doing the exact same thing that you just mentioned, which I never would have thought of at the beginning, which is thinking about the group dynamic and how they would work well with each other. And that's an, that's an element of that game that I didn't think of when you first pitched it, but has become a lot of fun as we've added characters to the team. And I think will be uh, even more interesting as we get to the point of no return where we're adding characters and suddenly going, okay, well, not all these characters are going to make the cut. Yeah. And suddenly it does become about those group dynamics. And again, I just, I never thought of that when you pitched the idea. Oh, and that was almost for, uh, first and foremost on my mind when I thought about it, because it is such an interesting idea about not being able to get the character that you want. Like, there are characters in films where I'm like, I don't know if I want to even recommend this movie because I know <laughs> I want that character. They would be perfect for this team. And if I do it, I know Rafe is going to take that character. Now, eventually, I'm just going to have to suck it up and make those selections. But that time hasn't come yet, so... Uh, but is it coming now because it's your month to pick? Bum, bum, bum. Is, um, uh, well, let's tease a little bit. I will say, <laughs> you know the character I want more than any other character. Yes. You know who I want. And you know that I'm not going to select that movie because I know there's not a lot to choose from in that film. I, I will tell you. I will, I will tell you now in case that changes your, your choice. I probably, if we do that movie... We're keeping it very vague. I love this. Mm-hmm. If we do do that movie, I probably would not pick that character. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not saying I 100% wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I will say, <laughs> with giving nothing away, that the film I have selected to discuss in our next episode is related to the film that you and I are now <laughs> very covertly <laughs> discussing. Uh, uh, there are some actual connections to it. So I have some well, ideas. I will, say, I will say no more at this moment. Um, we got, uh, speaking of just feedback from listeners, we got so much good actual game advice from listeners. Folks who were like, hey, I'm loving this. Have you tried blank? So Ty Pronti, uh on the Facebook said, went way back to our Super 8 and said, have you tried population statistics for the Fate Core system? And then sent links to YouTube videos of the explanations of it, which I have not watched. I feel really bad about it, and I was really hoping to get, like, this massive amount of RPG homework. I have, since the last time we recorded, I may have purchased almost a dozen role-playing games. No, sorry. I have purchased over 300 role-playing games since last time, but... There's there's bundles that are going on for for um, ah, various okay okay uh, for various um, uh, fundraisers. Uh, we should we should you. add for context. Uh, you're in the middle of grad school right now as right. well. So I am it's in not the middle that, of grad that Drew school, is so. like taking your links and going, oh, I'll get to these eventually. Like he has real homework that he has to do <laughs> instead of his RPG homework. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it was actually just the other day I, I was finishing my finals and I needed a break. And I'm like, ooh, you know what I should do? I should just spend the next two hours reading rule, RPG rule books. And then I realized that if I start and, and allow myself that kind of dedication, uh, I'm not going to jump back into homework. Because once right. I get into that road, I've got like four or five new games that I am so excited to play. And those aren't going to happen until late July. But back to the thing. Population statistics, Fate Core. Fate Core is one of those systems where I have listened to a number of uh, actual play podcasts run. I have played in one or two games of them. I didn't get a chance to explore the population statistics, but uh, I do like the system. And so I'm excited to play around with that. And um, Ray on the site got really excited 
Uh, and I think he may have gotten confused our, our podcast with another podcast and got really excited that we were going to be talking about the index card RPG. And then when we said that we weren't, they're like, oh, that's kind of a bummer, but you should still try it out. Well, I have downloaded those rules. I love drive through RPG. I love being able to just get a digital yeah. imprint of it and just print out what I need to rules. I have looked through some of those and I'm really great. There's too many games. I really want to play everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, both of those recommendations, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, making those suggestions. You know, any listener, feel free to, if you think there's a game that we should be playing, or, and more importantly, if there's a game that we should be knowing about for the actual podcast, like, you know, Super 8, what, you're recommending that game? You should really be trying this game. Then please let us know. Let's see, what else? Uh, (laughs) Speaking of role-playing games, nine years ago... I recorded a podcast, uh, an episode of the Crucible of Realms podcast, which is one that I really love, which is just, they pitch an idea. It's a world-building podcast. They pitch mm-hmm. an idea, and we just have a conversation. We talked for about four and a half hours. They whittled it down to about a two and a half hour long podcast, uh, which is maybe why it took nine years to finally be released. It got released like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Um, but there's some really amazing worlds in there. And the, the idea behind it is, they have done sort of what we have done, which is they come up with the idea, they come up with the basic rule set, and then they post it on their site, and you can read the the notes. And if you want to adopt that world into your campaign, yeah, go for it. Free nice. charge. Just take it. So that's a Crucible of Realms podcast, uh, episode 29, Tide Shift. Uh, what happens if there's a planet where time moves differently in different pockets, and different pockets of radiation cause players to adapt to their environments differently? So it was fun coming up with um, kind of random time and power generators. So that was really good. That sounds really cool. On Podbean, we did get a comment that we, we missed. Uh, Podbean is where we host the podcast uh, in case you, you, you want to find us on the web besides Facebook and social media and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, we got a comment. I don't even know how to give this name because it's C-X-E-G-P-Z-B-T, which makes me almost feel like it's a bot because it ends with B-T. But it says, I've thoroughly enjoyed all episodes of this podcast. It's a fun trip down memory lane to, to movies that were part of my childhood and new movies I never saw. Drew and Rafe have great insight into these movies and relate these insights to RPGs. Highly recommended. Thank you. We are trying. And, yeah, uh, thanks, C-X-E-G-B-P-Z-B-T. <laughs> no, I spelled it out. You have to try pronouncing it. <laughs> uh, I'm just double-checking to make sure that this wouldn't um, uh, interfere with our uh, all-ages rule. No, so Kigzigapit. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Feels like a name Douglas Adams would have come up with. Right, or whoever it was that created the fifth dimensional imp from Superman, Mr. Mitzelplick. Yeah, which is, I, I, someone posted fairly recently, maybe it was Gail Simone, um, posted, like, I found the first issue that has his appearance, and it's like, this is how you're supposed to be pronouncing it, and it's it's not Mixic and it's like Mixic, Mixie's Pittle Click, or something like right. that, and I'm like, yeah. But nobody's uh, ever followed that pronunciation. We've all said Mitzel Click. No. Yeah, absolutely, which is fine. Oh, speaking of just other podcasts, too, uh, there's a really lovely podcast called Screen Drafts. Um, they one get of a your bunch favorites. of experts. It, it's currently one of my favorites. It's one. It's really always nice to listen to people discuss anything passionately, but particularly movies. I do like listening to people talk about movies. Uh, they were doing a Richard Dra- uh, Richard Donner uh, draft, rest in peace. And um, at the two hour and 25 minute mark, Ryan Marker, uh, the color commentator, uh, had some really interesting things to say about Goonies in general and just about movies from that generation. So the kind of kids and bikes films Amblin Entertainment films and sort of how they don't make those films anymore. Now, I don't know if Ryan watches the same films that we've been watching because we've been drawing some good similarities, but it's certainly worth listening to just in general. I think if you're if you're a movie fan, if you're really a fan of the movie portion of our podcast, give that one a try, especially if you like the gamification of movie uh, movie watching, which is something that we like as well. That's right. That's right. Cool. Uh, any other feedback you want to get into, Drew? I think we have covered quite a bit, but um, certainly want to encourage anyone who listens to the podcast to get in touch with us. We're we're always happy. And if you are going to leave a comment and you don't want us to mention it on the podcast, just let us know and we won't do it. But but uh, we're just going to assume it's fair game if you've uh, put it on any of the public spaces. So uh, yeah. we're quite excited about that. All right. Well, in that case, let us move to our uh, Kickstarter segment. Although I want to ki- I want to kick things off with something that's not a Kickstarter. It's just a purchase type thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you know, Drew, I just finished 
finished, I just ran a 5K this past week. So I've been training for the last couple of months. And one of the things I've discovered about myself over the last few years is as much as I like being that prototypical gamer, you know, no physicality, you know, sitting at the computer screen or DM screen or whatever. The truth is I do enjoy exercise, but I enjoy it if I can gamify it. I enjoy it. Like... Video games that uh, 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 that are about exercise have appealed to me for a long time. Like when the Wii came out, that was a big thing. Was Wii Fit, you know? And uh, there's Ring Adventure for the Switch, which I I play. I spent a lot of time with last summer when I was trying to lose some weight. This isn't really gamification of the the, the exercise itself, but I've been having a blast with the Conqueror's Challenge, which is a a virtual race type thing. But they released a series of Lord of the Rings. Challenges and I have uh, not heard of this. Oh yeah, I mean they're not inexpensive, unfortunately. But I dropped the fifty dollars for the first one, which was the Shire. It's five challenges total. Uh, the first one was the Shire, which took you from the Shire to Bree, and you get like you get to see your progress on a little map as it updates with miles. It, it syncs with my Fitbit, so it just count. I just I don't even have to put in my exercise. Um, you can select whether or not you want it to count your daily steps or just exercise sessions. So if you feel like you're going through too fast because you're using your daily steps, you can take that out. It sends you postcards every once in a while. It shows you scenes from the movies or, or stills from the movie, kind of giving you the progress of the story. And then when you reach the end, you get a really cool medal. Um, I have not gotten my first one yet. I finished the Shire the day before my 5K, um, but I've seen enough uh, pictures of the medals on the Conqueror's Challenge community uh, on Facebook to know that these this looks really cool. And the first one is the Hobbit doorway, you know, the, the Bilbo's doorway, and on the back it has the one ring and i'm so excited about that but i'm having a blast with that and it's not it's not a kickstarter it's a go pay 50 bucks to do this challenge i immediately bought the next challenge uh which is the fellowship which will take me uh from brie to rivendell and uh it's a lot of fun it's it's a sense of progress on something which i need when i'm exercising so that that i found that really helpful that's Um, awesome so i wanted to throw a free ad in for them well, I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, I have some friends who work for a company called Phanthropy, and it's very similar. They choose a some a charity to to dedicate some money to. They pair it with a fandom, and then they create a what's basically an asynchronous challenge for runners. Ooh. So it's like you can measure your your own work. So basically, like I did it for the Good Place, and so um, I have everything is five k. It, it the metal looks it it looks like the board from the the Good Place. One of my top five favorite shows of all time, and. Uh, at my own pace, I ran a 5K. And when I completed the 5K, I let them know they sent me the medal. Um, and I also know that a good chunk of the money that I sent to them goes to the charity that they're raising money for. And I get oh, I like updates that. on how... And it, they've got... You know, there's a lot of Doctor Who. There's a lot of Harry Potter. There's a lot of Dungeons & Dragons. But they have a bunch of different ones. And every once in a while, they'll just have a special one. For instance, like, you know, like The Good Place. Um, so yeah, that's Phanthropy. And uh, it's uh, it's very cool. Like, any of them are really awesome because they're going to a good cause. But they're also providing me with a little bit of glee that I've got hanging up on my wall. I've got a medal on my wall. I'm a, you know, I'm a big nerd. Part of me was like, I'm going to get one every single month during the pandemic. And I did one of those. I did one. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, uh, shall we kickstart this off? We shall. Um, And I'm going to jump in with the first one. Uh, You'll notice, uh, dear listener, a trend among the Kickstarters, that, for most of the Kickstarters that we are talking about uh, this month. Uh, but, but, but before we get into that, I, I, I want to start with one, because we joke almost every main episode when we talk about games you could play, um, <laughs> you could use a system for to, to, to adapt this movie. We, we throw in that little joke about Call of Cthulhu, which is only a partial joke, because we, we've legitimized it every time. I don't think there's yeah, a single sure. time where we've gone, Call of Cthulhu, ha ha ha. But one game came across my my screen, uh, which is described basically as Call of Cthulhu meets Murder, She Wrote. Which basically <laughs> means this is the antithesis of Kids on Bikes, because you're playing as a bunch of old ladies for this. It's called Brindlewood Bay, and it looks phenomenal. It's a murder mystery where your players are playing older ladies like uh, Jessica Fletcher. Was that her name? Fletcher. Yeah. Oh, God, hey, man. I've never seen an episode, and I know that. What? What? <laughs> 
Oh, well, and like, Jay Michael no, Straczynski wrote for the show. You would think I'd, I've watched at least a few episodes, <laughs> um, but uh, no. I, but as I said, it's like the opposite of Kids on Bikes. But for some reason, it caught my attention, and I'm really excited about the. This is not their first Kickstarter. Uh, this is actually just releasing the hardback book version of Brindlewood Bay. But they did add a, a second book that is is new to this that is uh, available as well at some of the, the support tiers. So uh, called Nephews in Peril, and I, I I'm excited. <laughs> About this good one. title. Um, I will say that I already own the digital version of this game. Of course uh, you I, do. <laughs> I have I have started a read through of it. It is quite exceptionally. It's an exceptional game, and the I find that murder mysteries or just mysteries in general are generally difficult to pull off. We talked about that when we talked about our riddles um, right. in some of our earliest episodes. Uh, mysteries are tricky because you have to balance the player's enjoyment with the ability to catch, get clues. And, you know, this is one of those things where you have to be on the same page with your players that this is a mystery that they need to solve because you and I both know that if you don't make it abundantly clear and make the clues relatively easy, your players are going to miss stuff. So um, one of the things I really like about the game is the mechanic that allows you to create these mysteries. I won't go into more detail than that, but I went on drive through. I bought the digital uh, because usually what I'll do is I'll buy a digital and I'll read through the rules. And if I really like it, and it's one of those things that I know I'm going to want permanently in a collection, I'll buy the physical copy. I don't mind paying that little bit extra because uh, as a creator myself, I know the creators work very hard to put these books out. So if a little bit of extra money comes out of my pocket and goes into theirs, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. So I think both of us, I can, I, even though we didn't discuss it until just now, I think both of us got really excited when Brindlewood Bay uh, came up in the Kickstarters as a, a possible and an available campaign to to support for yeah. this episode. Yeah, this is, I, that's the one I've been most excited to talk about in this segment since I saw it several weeks ago. So I'm, I'm, oh, I'm thrilled cool. about it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, who knows? <laughs> Maybe we'll play some Nephews in Peril uh, after grad school is done. Um, <laughs> for the next game, we're going to move, we're going to take a step away from Kickstarter and go straight to Game GameFound. And, and, you know, sometimes GameFound, if you support a game on Kickstarter, you will eventually get a little backer kit from GameFound that says, you know, like, pay for your, your game here. Straight on GameFound, skipping Kickstarter altogether, is Desperation. And Desperation is by our friends at Bully Pulpit. Bully Pulpit, who made Fiasco, the game that we can yell at Rafe for not playing. But, you know, it's... <laughs> But again, not Rafe's fault. Um, this is one of those games where when they were setting up the advertisement about uh, Desperation, they basically said, hey, do you like storytelling games like The Quiet Year and For the Queen, two of my absolute favorite games of all time? And I was like, yes, supported. I mean, from the makers of Fiasco, uh, a storytelling game, uh, it was basically, do you like for the queen and do you like the quiet year but you want something that has the cold dark uh, heartless humor that you have come to know and love from from you know yourself and others and it's like yeah okay i like it and there it's a complete role-playing game storytelling game in a box uh, and there's actually two of them in this first set for desperation so there's two distinct stories and you can play it multiple times and you're going to get different results so it's it's a storytelling game that gives you cues on how this game progresses and you're using a deck of cards and as you flip over, it's going to ask you certain questions and certain things are going to happen and that will determine how the story plays out. Nice. Um, and it's, it's you know, the production value is really good and it's, again, it's by Pulley Pulpit so like, you know, Morningstar and company, do not steer you wrong, I have never, ever worked on a game or played a game of theirs that I didn't just thoroughly enjoy and that, and they, they're in the gamut, like they're all over the place with the different types of games that they make available. But for them, uh, story is key, and uh, that is what I love. So, um, yeah, Desperation, found on GameFound, um, links in the show notes. Nice. Uh, okay, uh, next I have one that, that, that popped up on, on Facebook for me, you know, in my Facebook ads, uh, which I originally didn't pay much attention to, and then it kept popping up in my Facebook ads, and I finally went, okay, fine, let me look at this. Uh, and it is from uh, Free League. It is a Kickstarter for Blade Runner, the RPG. Now, I am a fan of Blade Runner, the movie, uh, as I think I, I think I have to be. I think it's required by law, if I, if I remember correctly. But I'm also not the world's biggest fan of Blade Runner, just because uh, I think part of it is the fact that there's so many versions of the movie. And if you your introduction to the movie is the wrong <laughs> version, then... Uh, but I, I, I do enjoy it. I don't know how I feel about the RPG yet, but the book shots look 
gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, this is one I can't imagine backing digitally because I want to see those pages. So I need to make the decision as to whether I'm going to pull the trigger and support this fully because it's like, I'm if, if I get it digitally, the chances that I'm just going to sit there and look at the artwork are, are significantly reduced to having the physical copy that I can glean through. Um, I don't know that I have a group that would play it. But I like the idea. I mean, I think Ridley Scott, not to go off on too far of a tangent, but I think Ridley Scott, the amount of world building that he did with that movie for one essentially small story is astounding. There's a reason why it's the foundation for many other movies that are tangentially related to Blade Runner. Movies like Kurt Russell's in Soldier is supposed to be kind of tangentially related to Blade Runner um, because the world building that he created, the background, the way this world looks is so unique and amazing. So it really is, a lot of that movie is is about style. And so I love the fact that the RPG is, is coming to the table with style above all else. Now, I still want to check it out to see what kind of substance it has, but I, 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 it's, it's attractive, I will say that. Yeah, yeah. I have so many mixed feelings about this product um, because as soon as it showed up, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% going to back this. And the more I thought about it, I don't think I'm going to do so. Uh, and I'm going to give you my pitch for why I'm not. Okay. Um, and it's kind of the crux for the rest of the conversation for the other other games that we're going to talk about. And that is, um, you know, well, there are two there were two movies released basically around that same time. One of them is my favorite movie of all time, which is John Carpenter's Thing. The other one is Blade Runner. Both of them were terrific flops that summer. Right. Um, and, but they have gone on to be these huge cult hits. And the reason they're, they're cults hits is because there's so much amazing world building. And that sort of world building is the thing that is drawing me to the game. Right. That's what but, I just said. <laughs> I know. I know. But I don't like playing, and this is going to sound really weird coming from someone who who, who has pitched an idea for a, a podcast about movies inspiring role-playing games. I don't like playing in other people's IPs. Hmm. It's tricky for me. So like, one of the reasons I don't like it is players who are familiar with the IP more than me, if I'm running the game, have a tendency to want to correct me. Mm. And I don't love that. Not because it's my ego. It's just that it, the worlds that exist, you need to, for instance, when if I've done a star, I've run a lot of Star Wars role-playing games. They have never taken part anywhere near any of the movies. They're already, in, you know, in a sub-galaxy far, far away from the other galaxies that are far, far away because you're never going to see any characters that have ever appeared in those films. And I know that's the big draw for people is to interact with the films. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to tell a story in that universe. So I am interested in the universe of Blade Runner, but I don't want to play anywhere near the movie itself. Does that make sense? It does. And that's actually one of the things that really appealed to me. This is a, a long over Kickstarter, but when they brought the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender RPG, which is like mm -hmm. the most successful RPG on Kickstarter of all time. And Correct, yeah. Ridiculous amount of money that it made. But one of the things that appealed to me about that was it, it comes with the option of five different eras that you can set your campaign in. So you can set it in the age of Kyoshi. Not, not that I would ever be doing any background information about that. He says as he picks up a Kyoshi book, you could set it in the age of Kyoshi and then your characters are never going to meet anybody who's in the TV show because none of them are born yet. Right. You know, and so I, I love the fact that if you want to play that game where your characters can run into Aang and, or Korra, then you can set your game in that time period. But they are giving you information on how to set your game in time periods that are significantly less established, that are established in the canon of, of the universe, but haven't been uh, uh, dug into enough that, that you have to worry about running into a moment like that. Yeah, many years back, I attempted to run a Harry Potter role-playing game in which the players were House Hufflepuff characters, a house that only gets mentioned tangentially in the first book. It was going to be a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern version of Harry Potter and the and the <laughs> Sorcerer's Stone. I but love it. it. All, gonna, all the players were going to be Hufflepuff. And so I, I got the book, I read the reread the book, I looked at all the major events that were happening, and I figured out how the, the characters would be able to work around that. And we started to play, and I started to explain something that was happening in Hogwarts, and one of my players said, oh, it says, oh, no, no, that actually wouldn't have happened, because this, this, and this. I was like, okay, all right, 
well, and then I did it. Oh no, actually that wouldn't happen. And then I was like, you know what? We're not, we're going to play something different. Uh, I saw, I I had this glimpse of this horrible future of me attempting to tell a story where it clearly meant more to them that we were adhering to the actual rules in a way that I wasn't going to be able to provide for them. And it, it, it kind of sums up how I feel about IPs. Now, having said that, I am going to contradict myself horribly with this next pick. I wouldn't expect anything less from you, Drew. (laughs) All right. So for the next pick, it just launched today as a time recording, which is pretty exciting. Evil Genius has an... uh, is updating D20 Modern, a system that I've never really played in because it just didn't appeal to me, right? Like if Mm -hmm. I'm going to play a role-playing game, there's certain aspects of of modern technology, but I don't really like the idea, like the idea of casting a magic spell and zapping a mythical creature is really interesting to me, but the idea of pulling out a machine gun and shooting people, it hits a little too close to home, right? Like So like that kind of sort of violence doesn't really interest me as much. Right. However... Launch today is Everyday Heroes, um, and Everyday Heroes is the newest version of the modern D20, and they have done something that is so unthinkable that I can't help but stand up and take notice, and that is when you get the core rulebook, you can also purchase what they call their season pass, their 2023 season pass, right. which includes some of the, in their words, greatest action films of all time. They are not how to play in that world they are doing essentially what we are doing, but rather than being inspired by, they have created the adventure of Kong Skull Island, Highlander, Universal Soldier, Total Recall, Rambo, and the thing that made me salivate profusely, Escape from New York. So you buy the core rulebook, and you can also, as an add-on, buy these 100-page full-color adventures for, like, I think it's an extra 20 bucks. And Rafe, I'm tempted, man. I'm really, really tempted, because even though it goes against everything that I just said, if you are specifically playing an adventure inspired by that, and everyone's in agreement, that, to me, is different from playing... Like, the core rulebook, if it was a Kong Skull Island core rulebook... I'd still buy it. Actually, uh, that's the other thing too. Is I have been working. I have on... an Indiana Jones uh, set uh, box set upstairs. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, from when that RPG came out. I, yeah, totally. I have been working on my own version of Kong Skull Island for about five years now, and I can't decide how, what direction to take it. So part of me is thinking about buying this just to see what they did and not do that. But who knows? Like that's sort of my my great white whale of of RPG design because it's just such a fun world to kind of play around in. So yeah. So like the idea is like. Would I buy the core rulebook by itself? Absolutely not. I have no interest in it. But I might buy it and then get Kong Skull Island and and Escape from New York because these are movies that I truly love. I'm very, very curious to see what they do with that. So, yeah. So the the joke here for me is, you know, that you you had updated our our spreadsheet, our our sheet of what we're going to talk about today. And I hadn't looked at it, hadn't gotten to look at it. And then I was like, oh, we're we're recording soon. I need to go with my Kickstarter stuff. Well, I did see that ad for uh, Blade Runner, the RPG. Oh, Drew already has it on the list. Uh, I did see that ad for Escape from New York. Uh, but I didn't click through it. I could not find, by doing a Google search of Escape from New York RPG, could not find anything. Same thing for Highlander. So I, I'm like, darn it, I don't have those to, to bring to the table. I'll have to figure out where, what, cause I should have clicked through the ads, obviously. <laughs> and here you are with this, and it's one system for several games that I want, I'm interested in. I'd love to do a right. Highlander-themed uh, RPG. I'd love to do uh, uh, an Escape from New York R- uh, RPG. So, yeah, they've definitely captivated my attention. Uh, not enough that I click through ads, apparently, but uh, <laughs> they—they've. They, it's fascinating to me. You know, and and that's one of the things that we didn't really mention. Brindlewood Bay. Uh, it's finished on May 30th. Uh, Desperation's finished on May 25th. Blade Runner's finished on May 26th. This one just kicked off, right? Like, as a recording, so it's it's going to be good until June 18th. It's going to give me a lot of time to consider this because one of the things that's interesting is it's the 2023 season pass. Yes. Which means that these folks, if this is successful, are going to have some money to spend on other IPs. And they've already said they have plans for 2024 that they're not talking about yet. Yeah. So I, I'm considering it. I'm considering it because, you know, if they can pull these, you know, notice that things like Alien and Predator are not among them because they have their own role-playing games already. Highlander has had a pre- uh, previous role-playing game, but it's like 
it's 30 years gone. I, I think, let's see, what else is... Uh, there may have been a Total Recall game, and if not, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Sincerely. Uh, and there has been things like um, kaiju-based games. Oh, that was the other one, too, is um, Pacific Rim. And so Pacific Rim is the other one that I'm kind of considering, too, because I haven't ever found a good mech versus kaiju combat system right. that wasn't too crunchy. Like, it's just so many rules, and I just don't want to deal with something like that. But this fascinates me i really kind of want to dig into that and see what they what they do with it so you know it is i'm putting this recommendation out there because certainly i know other people are going to be interested and if you didn't happen to catch this kickstarter you know this is the thing to to consider so yep i got one more go ahead i got one more so uh, uh along with role-playing games and movies i'm also a big comic book fan i know that you are as well yes um there is a lovely comic book it is a monthly comic book it's called die it's by kieran gillen and it is about role-playing games it's basically a dark take on dungeons and dragons what if regular people get sucked into a fantasy world that they 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 have been in before and it has horrible results um (laughs) and in order to when they launched the comic they also launched a real like not even like a beta tested rpg it had some real kinks they needed to work out but they made it public for folks to look at well now they've handed over that game to rowan rook and deckard which is grant howitt uh and which is our folks from from hardy dice friends the podcast that it's it's safe to say basically kind of expired my interest in doing this podcast everything that they have put out like you know heart spire uh honey heist right (laughs) (laughs) uh all of those so anything that they work on, I'm interested in, and Die is an interesting game. Now, whether or not I buy this game or not, it remains to be seen. Like your Blade Runner game, it is a beautiful-looking game. They, The art that they've got, the folks that are putting it together, they, they can take the art from the comic, so that's a real big plus. Again, it feels like you're playing in an IP that already exists, but the world is created in such a way that it is open it is a sandbox kind of game so i don't feel like it's railroading uh or limiting to play in an i that ip so i would be more interested in playing in that fantasy setting perhaps than some of these others that i've mentioned like like uh i mean even saying things like blade runner it's free league and free league they're so good like they put their hands in uh this IP in the hands of a company that really knows how to not only write good games, but also produce good games. Right. Um, I don't know more about Evil Genius uh, games, so I, I haven't seen what they've put out, but it still looks good, and I'm really interested. Um, also, I would like to point out that for Everyday Heroes, even though they mention you know these movies that we are familiar with that are, of course, all starring uh, white men, the characters that they, they pop out in the, in the ads are not just those. So you are not just right. playing the characters from the movie you're playing in the world so there's a lot to go over with this and i I, i'm sorry that the majority of this podcast episode is is talking about other people's products but not sorry also because right who knows what kind of amazing gaming experiences this is going to lead to if nothing else brindlewood bay is exists in our future i guarantee you desperation exists in my future um so uh, that's a fairly certain that everyday heroes will be in mine I'm, I'm fairly certain. And I'm looking forward to playing whatever system uh, of from the season pass that you decide to get as well. Uh, <laughs> I think any of those choices would be really fun. You mentioned Universal. Uh, you mentioned Kurt Russell. Like, right, isn't he? No. Universal Soldier is Jean-Claude Van Damme, isn't it? Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're so big. They're so meaty. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right, Drew, it is that time. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to say that the movie I've chosen uh, to discuss in, in roughly two weeks' time isn't anything like any of the games that we have discussed. Um, <laughs> I, I did hint that um, this game uh, shares some similarities to another one that we have both <laughs> talked about on and off several times. In fact, we've, we've mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, and of course that movie is the quest, but what's interesting about the film that I have selected is last week or last episode, Rafe selected the kid who would be King, a film that neither of us had seen. And a film, it was the first of your choices that wasn't a considered a classic. It wasn't part of the nostalgic era. You know, it wasn't an eighties film really. Um, in that sense, I have been choosing a lot of modern, relatively modern films, 
Well, Rafe, I've decided to just switch things up a little bit because I am going back to 1983. Not only is this film nothing like anything that we've done before, but it is the film that the term Kids on Bikes came from. Yes, this is the only movie that we're going to be discussing that mentions the term in the actual phrase, a direct quote, Kids on Bikes, and they do it twice. They do it twice in the film. This is a film that was produced and directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. It came out in 1983, and this is the acting debut of one Nicole Kidman. Of course I am talking about the 1983 classic Australian hijinks kids on bikes film, BMX Bandits. Oh. <laughs> ah, which I have not seen, uh, but I am very familiar with, and uh, great. I, I'm excited to have an excuse to watch it. Uh, like, I have been about it. I think every movie you've picked. I don't think you've picked one that I've seen before. Well, one of the nice things about BMX Bandits is it is readily available on YouTube. Um, the quality of the, the recording isn't great. It's a kind of hard one to find on DVD, um, mainly because... The, the DVDs that are out there are like dollar store DVDs with really bad printings. And if you want to spend 20 bucks to get the like the special edition Blu-rays, I don't know if it's worth that much money. Um, right. But there's a lot to discuss because you know we talk about Goonies and E.T. as these kind of prototypical, like these, these ur stories for kids on bikes. And even though there's only one year later than E.T., a lot of what we love about the genre is exemplified in this. It is very similar to um, The Kid Who Would Be King, kind of a kid's... It is a kid's movie. There is a threat like The Goonies that they are being pursued by criminals. They are even less competent than the Fratellis. Um, <laughs> and so the violence is a very, very real threat that just gets significantly less as the film goes on. This is going to be... If you are, if we were going to be playing a game based on this, a very like the emphasis is going to be on fun and bike tricks. This is there is very little actual film time where the kids are not on bikes and actively doing tricks on bikes. This is the bikiest kids on bikes <laughs> film that we have discussed so far. So I'm making up for the lack of bikes from the kid who would be king right. with the BMX Bandits, a film that I am. I am quite excited to uh, discuss with you in roughly two weeks. All right. Well, you can join us in roughly two weeks for our discussion of BMX Bandits. Until then, you can find the podcast on all podcatchers. And, of course, you can reach out and contact us. You can email us at theneversaydiepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at the Never Say Die cast group. Uh, it is a private group, but all you have to do is request admission, and we will let you in. And you can make snarky comments on our rosters like other people have done. And it's great. It excites us tremendously. Tremendously. Uh, let's see. We are also on Twitter at Never Say Die Cast, which we post quite a bit on that. So thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, Megan Daly for our show artwork. And remember, even if it doesn't seem like old ladies can defeat Cthulhu, old ladies can defeat Cthulhu as long as they never say die. Never say die.